This is Clutch Fans. And by the way, shout out to the Clutch fans. You're listening to the Clutch Fans Podcast, an open conversation for Houston Rockets diehards. I'm ready to get on Clutch Fans. Now, here's your host, the man who would have drafted Harold Miner over Robert Ory, Dave Hardesty. Welcome into the podcast. It's uh, been so long since we've done a podcast that I'm struggling to even remember how to open one of these. Uh, I'm here with my great friend MK Bauer of Field Level Media. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Moisecapenda. MK, uh, we're here at Toyota Center right after the Rockets uh, pulled off the 122 to 90 win over the Utah Jazz to take a 1-0 series lead. What were your thoughts from this game? I think the one thing that stands out to me, well, let me start here. I shouldn't say one thing. There are three things that really stood out to me. I think the one thing that's been overlooked about this team throughout the second half of the season is how well they've played defensively. And I realize a lot of that is bodies being available, them understanding who they were in terms of the rotation and the, the additions they made to the roster and those guys kind of settling in. But they were second in the NBA in defensive rating following the also break. First overall in net rating. They've been a, t- a terrific defensive team for a nice stretch of the season now. And I think you saw signs of that tonight. L- look, I understand the denigration of where the Rockets were defensively for most of the year. But they've changed course. And they've kind of gotten back to how good they were last year through the course of the year and into the postseason, which got them to Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals. And tonight we saw how good they could be defensively when everybody's locked in. And their depth plays a big part in what they do. I don't think they're going to hold Utah to, what, 25.9% three-point shooting through the course of the series, but they can challenge the Jazz possession after possession because they do have the numbers available to do that, and they have guys who are committed to the task. I thought tonight, specifically, their defense early on Donovan Mitchell set the tone for the entire game. Eric Gordon at first, Austin Rivers after that, just getting into him and making him making things difficult for him in terms of getting a shot off. And that really set the foundation for how they were going to play defensively the entire game. When things went a little haywire for the Rockets offensively early in the third quarter, their defense was still pretty good. And then they found that gear again midway through the period and closed it out from there. That's the one thing that sounds to me, more than anything else, how well they play defensively and how people shouldn't be surprised by that. There's some other things that we'll discuss as well. Uh, you know, you raise a great point because I think it's hard to overcome first impressions, right? I mean, look at how many people out there still believe James Harden plays no defense. I mean, and that's because that first impression, you know, four or five years ago, it's, it's they can't overcome that. And I think you look at the first 25 games of this season and the Rockets played some awful, awful defense. And it's hard to look at this team and say it's a great defensive team but it has been since the break or even since earlier and um you know but along those same lines so has the utah jazz i believe they've been number one defensively uh since the break the rockets put up 122 points against them tonight what is it about this matchup that you see i mean the rockets have really it's been an advantageous matchup for them uh they've had their way with the jazz whereas so many other teams struggle to score against them it's kind of weird to me because they kind of tried to employ a little bit what milwaukee did 
um, in the two matchups they had against the Rockets this season. fascinating, yeah. Yeah, which is weird because to me, Utah is so good defensively. They can just play straight up against Harden and have some success on occasion. I thought Royce O'Neal was the one guy tonight who came in and kind of disrupted things a little bit for Harden. But by and large, he had his way. It, it, look, it's a challenge anytime you're a, a, a guard trying to get to the rim with Rudy Gobert there and you're trying to negotiate that space between stopping for the floater, going a little bit further to the rim, or making that pass over the top for the alley-oop. Gobert's terrific and he makes that a difficult choice every time down the court, but to the point that Harden has made time and time again this season, he's seen every type of defense opponents can throw at him and nothing phases him anymore. And I thought tonight he played with a great amount of thrust, he played with great confidence, and he played with kind of a chip on the shoulder, an angst about him that I thought really served him well through the course of the game. He didn't shoot great tonight, he shot well enough, but I thought his overall floor leadership was terrific. And you and I kind of discussed this through the course of the game, him and Chris Paul were passing on another level tonight. Yeah. I thought it was extraordinary through the course of the entire game. And what really struck me is that it would have showed up better if those guys, their teammates, had made open three-pointers earlier in the game. They didn't, so it didn't look like they were generating a whole lot offensively. But their passing was, was, was gorgeous. And if the Utah's going to continue to play the way they played defensively, allowing Harden access to the rim and or access to the paint, and then trying to stop them from that point moving forward and allowing hard to make great passes to open teammates, they're going to see games like this through the rest of the series because the Rockets aren't going to miss that many open threes game after game. They're going to make them a lot earlier, and they're going to be bigger deficits again for the Jazz to face early in games. You know, Rudy Gobert is a bit of a, a plus-minus uh, darling, yet negative 23 in 33, you know, 34 minutes. Uh, I thought there were some interesting points today. Uh, Quinn Snyder said, you know, look, you know, Rudy can't be in both places. They're going to have to make some adjustments as far as rim protection. I still look at it uh, as almost as radical as this sounds because he is a defensive player of the year type candidate, may, you know, could potentially win it. Um, that maybe he needs to play significantly fewer minutes. I mean, look at uh, Derek Favors was uh, the only positive uh, plus-minus in the box score. He was really good tonight, I thought. Yeah, yeah. and, and I, it feels like they've got to make some sort of radical adjustment because the Rockets have their number. Now, yes, Joe Ingles is not going to score three points in the next game. Matter of fact, if I, you know, history holds, he's, he exploded in that game two last year, had a big game, uh, you know, and, and the Rockets mentioned, hey, we remember, you know, winning game one last year. They came back and won here uh, at Toyota Center. So... They're going to be ready for that, but it just seems like Rudy Gobert is is he's a mismatch for so many other teams, but for some reason the Rockets just pick him apart in those pick and rolls. It's really interesting to me, too, how you and I kind of always going back and forth through the course of the last few years about Clint Capella's performances and how uneven they can be, but for whatever reason, Gobert is a guy that likes to fire in his ass, and he played great tonight through the course of the game. And I think he embraces that challenge because of his previous relationship with Gobert. And he just gives him something a little bit extra in this particular matchup. I thought, as weird as, as it can be, Gobert still challenges some shots. But again, your point is, 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 is fact. It's underscored by the fact that Harden was able to kind of negotiate that space pretty well in terms of getting to the rim, getting the floater, getting passes to Capella, and really getting passes to teammates. And just put the Jazz in a bad situation again and again and again. Look, something else that kind of stood out to me, too. The Rockets finished at a plus-one rebounding advantage, which should not happen against Utah. Utah yeah, was third in the league. Surprise. Yeah, third in the league in rebounding rate. And the Rockets obviously struggled all season long on defensive rebounding. And tonight the Jazz only had seven offensive rebounds and ten second-chance points. If the Rockets are going to play like that, with that sort of energy, that sort of vigor, that sort of fight on the glass, they're going to win a series easily. I think that's the one thing that, that Utah has a distinct advantage of over the Rockets in this series. And if the Rockets are going to play them to a stalemate on the glass, and a lot of that is just fight and effort and heart and, and determination, 
They're going to win the series, this series easily. I was really stunned by how well they played A in the paint, points in the paint. I think this year they were at a minus 9.7 deficit on points in the paint per game. They were plus 20 tonight on the Jazz. That's exceptional. And then the rebounding tonight was outstanding. Those two things they can control by effort and energy. They do that in game two. They're going to make this a quick series. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the the, the tactic to, that uh, you know Snyder and the Jazz employed to push Harden to the right. It seemed to be uh, made more popular by the Bucks' uh, success against Harden uh, with that tactic. Uh, you know, obviously Harden came out, hit five of six shots for 12 points right in the first quarter. It seemed to really take advantage of Rubio's attempts to play that. I don't think Rubio was very aggressive with it. But Rubio had an interesting take just now, uh, you know, after the game where he kind of said, hey, look, you know, James Harden is great, but this is not a one-game tack. It's not a one-game plan. Uh, it's a plan for the whole series, and we're going to get better at it. And he said, look, Harden's very good, but he it, it took him 26 shots to get 29 points tonight. And he said we kept him off the line, and we can live with that. Now, granted, it's hard for him to say that in a 32-point loss. But, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting, I think, moving forward in this series to see if this really is a tactic that, you know, is going to be effective. I'll say this. They can talk about how many shots it took Harden to get that number of points. But I'll get back to the point I was making earlier. He had 10 assists. And guys missed at least three or four open threes on his passes. So you want to give him 28 points and 15 assists a game, the Rockets are going to win this series pretty easily. I understand the point they're trying to make. We don't want to foul him. We don't want to give him efficient offensive scoring nights. And he did not have that tonight because he did not get to the line. But he had multiple opportunities to get easy assists to guys because they were wide open because they were giving him access to the lane by forcing them to the right. Um, look, I, I, the whole the whole notion of forcing him to the right is one thing. Giving him the right is something completely different. Yeah. And th- that unfettered access to the lane is not going to work well for them at all. And again, Tucker made some threes later on, but he missed three early threes that were wide open. Yes. Daniel House missed a few open threes. Gerald Green missed some open threes. Those guys are going to keep missing open shots. And Harden's going to get 12-14 assists a game if the Utah Jazz keep playing this way in an attempt to keep him from the line. It's about picking your poison. They have to find some sort of middle ground to kind of attack him defensively because I don't think this plan is going to work very well at all. Yeah, Eric Gordon was really big tonight. Hit three threes. Uh, Capella was big. He was playing with an upper rep- upper respiratory infection and said it was one of his toughest games he's played. Uh, struggled to breathe at times. Uh, that was interesting. Uh, you know, I, I there was one of those moments in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, Harden had four fouls. Played with four fouls uh, for a long stretch. Or was it? Yeah, in the four third fouls. Quarter. Yeah, six fifty in the third quarter. Thank you. In the third quarter, picked up his fifth. I think with about six something left in the fourth. But there was that stretch when they came into the to start the fourth where Chris Paul's running that. You know, I think you had Paul Capella and Gordon and a couple guys off the bench, and they extended that lead uh, by a good amount. And it it just brought me back to when the Rockets first acquired Chris Paul and how many critics there were saying you know you can't, can't share, share the ball. And, and what a luxury it is to have two guys like this who truly can quarterback the offense and two of the best to ever do it. Um, and that showed tonight because Harden was uh, you know. He, he started out super effective, struggled for a little bit at, at times, but but mainly he struggled with foul trouble, and you had to take him out, uh, at, at, you know, for stretches. And, and here's Chris Paul uh, running that show. What, what a luxury that's been for the Rockets to, to as they always said, have 48 minutes of a Hall of Fame point guard running the team. Not that I ever get wrapped up in what people say on Twitter, but I, I kind of noticed one of your tweets about Chris Paul leaving early when he was at the podium tonight yeah. post game, and yeah. someone mentioning, you know, he didn't deserve to be there because of his stat. I'm like, clearly you don't watch the game. 
because Chris was terrific tonight. Like his control of the offense and the way he weaved in and out of Utah's defense was outstanding. And he gave those that, those guys fits out there because he was so very much in control of things. And, and it was kind of one of those virtuoso performances where he didn't score a ton of points, 12 points, 7 assists. But his fingerprints were all over the entire game when he was out there yeah, controlling really the basketball when Harden wasn't on the ball. And this is exactly what they want. They, they their issues previously before Chris got here of Harden having to do everything and running out of steam later in the season, they're going to be mitigated by nights like tonight when Harden can kind of get off the ball and Chris can run the show for long stretches and do the things that he does so very well and has done throughout the course of his career. And he doesn't have to score 20 points to have an impact on the game. He can score 12 to 15 and dominate the basketball and do great things like he did tonight. I'm curious to see what happens as we get deeper into this series in terms of what adjustments Utah is going to make because they're a terrific defensive team and they will make adjustments and what role Chris Paul has moving forward with the ball in his hands and off the ball or on the bench watching things unfold because it was you and I kind of smirked at this as well pregame where Quinn Snyder said that Chris Paul is a better coach than he is Chris is ultimately great at making adjustments in the course of a game He's going to figure out what Utah is doing to James and how that impacts him and what role he'll have on his team moving forward. I'm curious to see how the chess match is going to play out moving forward. You know, uh, so the Rockets uh, will have game two, I believe, Wednesday night here at Toyota Center and uh, need that game to uh, basically protect home court, home field advantage. I, I got to mention to you here the, the position that the Rockets are in, fourth seed, and, and talk a little bit about that OKC, OKC game to end the regular season. Uh, you know, I... Other than I've seen regular season losses cost somebody a, a playoff spot, and that that's damaging. But I don't think I've ever seen one play occur like that and change everything. That that missed free throw by Harden, and then you know to turn around and, and Paul George sort of make that corner uh, you know shot changed every single West. Uh, basically um, series. I think maybe Denver and, and the Spurs would have still played, but at different seating. Uh, the, you know, the Rockets would have been two. They would have forced OKC to play Golden State at 1-8. I mean, the Rockets are in a good position where they have a good matchup, but now they, they if they do advance, they are likely playing the Warriors in the second round. How, how much does that hurt when you look at it uh, as far as the way that that final season, final end. Yeah, I, I don't know where I saw this idea. Somewhere on Twitter, someone mentioned it, and I kind of agree with it. Look, they're going to have to beat the Warriors to get win a championship. I firmly believe that. It, there's no getting around Golden State. I know a lot of people were hoping that it would be Golden State and Oklahoma City in the first round, and maybe OKC would pull off that upset, or OKC would make Golden State punch their way out of that series and have very little left for the second round, and Rockets would get them in, in the Western Conference Finals ultimately and win that series there. They're going to have to beat them, period. And I'm kind of buying into this notion that maybe the earlier you play Golden State, the better, because you Healthier. you mitigate the, the opportunity for Chris Paul to get hurt. You lessen the chance that, that, that James's tank is getting closer to E because he's done such extraordinary things in the course of the season. And having them in the second round when they're a little bit fresher as opposed to the third round in the Western Conference Finals maybe gives you a better opportunity to win that series. I think the one thing we're all missing here and just in terms of this whole fear of dealing with Golden State is the Rockets probably would have won the series last year if Chris Paul's healthy. I know. The Rockets won three or four games this season against them. I don't. They're not scared of them. That's for sure. And I get that Golden State loves to, to have that swagger and talk that trash, and they deserve to do so because they've won three of the last four championships. They know when they come in here, they're looking across the court at a team that's not intimidated by them. And they have that edge on other teams in the West because they've kicked so much ass for so long. 
the Rockets are not scared of them. Yeah. And so I think people need to back away from this whole idea of, oh, my God, we got them early now because we're the fourth seed. The Rockets ain't scared. Yeah. And if they're going to play them, they're going to play them to win. And they have the, the, the weaponry to beat Golden State. It's going to be very, very difficult. I would never pick against Golden State to lose the series yeah. until they lose the series. But I think the Rockets are the one team capable of beating them. And getting them around earlier, to me, doesn't really make that much of a difference. You know, I think it, for me it was just I wanted to see their road to the Western Conference Finals be as difficult as possible. It wasn't so much just to avoid them as it was to just see them face some challenges because I feel like they've had a lot of uh, breaks in the last few years. And ironically, they are going to have a much tougher road to the Western Conference Finals, but it's potentially like, at our expense. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, that's, that's interesting. Last, before we close, I have to ask you about the MVP race. Um, I mean, let's just be clear. Giannis is winning this MVP, and I think it's been clear for a while. I mean, I've I've heard people talk about it, you know, like that that was pretty much done for for some time. Like the feeling was it would take a lot for people to change uh, their vote for, to, for Giannis. But it's, I think, just, you know, you are come more from the non-obviously Rocket fan perspective. I'm bringing more of a Rocket fan perspective. I think it's painful for Houston fans simply because we feel this is the third time this has happened. And we feel like the criteria has changed, the goalposts have moved. The bottom line, when you look at it, you know, the last five years, you really just look at it like the Westbrook MVP was the one, the outlier, the one that changed. You know, that, that if, if Harden had won that year... Giannis would be make more sense maybe to a lot of people this year. How do you view this race? Uh, just you know, you've you've covered Harden all year. You've seen Giannis, uh, you know, more on TV. What do you? How how would you assess those two as far as MVP? I think there are two levels to this argument, and I'll, I'll kind of broach your first part of this first. I think we are living in an age where the digital media has had so much influence on the traditional voting patterns of awards that it's, it's skewed things to a, a degree. And I honestly believe if Giannis wins, I don't, I'm not convinced that he is going to win. I hear what you're saying, but I'm not convinced. Really? Okay. I think if Giannis wins, I firmly believe this, Dave, we're going to have a, a group of, of, of journalists 10, 15 years from now look back and go, how did this guy, James Harden, not win MVP when he averaged 36, 6.5, and, and 7.5 and, and did what he did when Clint and Chris and Eric Gordon were hurt? The, the stat I tweeted out earlier this week, to me, they're going to be like, this is one of the most egregious mistakes. Kind of like yes. the way people now look at Shaq not winning the MVP the year Nash, Steve Nash yes. got it, or Kobe only winning one MVP. Yeah. Like, as time moves past, and we kind of look at things from a macro view, people will look at the, and cast kind of shame on the people who've done these votes for whatever bizarre reasons. To get back to my point, I think this group of voters may have may be falling victim to the conversation you see daily on social media. And it skews their opinion of things as opposed to them believing what they see in their own eyes. Giannis is a deserving MVP candidate, yep. period. He's had an extraordinary season and led a terrific team to the best record in a weaker conference. But that should not be diminished. His play was outstanding. Agreed. He should not be the MVP of the season. And if it's voter fatigue, if it's because I'm tired of voting for a guy that whose game I don't like, which I think is outside influence, I don't think the voters typically believe that. If it's looking at Harden being in the race for five consecutive years and feeling like it's someone else's turn, we gave it to Harden last year because yes. it was quote unquote his turn. That's what drives me nuts. I think it's all flawed strategy and thinking. But I think that's because now we live in an age where everything is dissected constantly online as opposed to these guys, the voters, the writers, the broadcasters having an opportunity to have their own independent thought. I think really, Dave, we've got to get kind of to a point now 
Well, we're, also, we're often influenced by what other people are saying because we see it constantly. Like, you don't have your own thought process anymore of watching a game on TV or watching a game live and going home thinking about it. You know why? Because you have Twitter up the entire game and you have people screaming at you about what's going on someplace else or about what you're watching and how it isn't real or legitimate or too many free throws or flopping or this or that. And it's a constant undercurrent of diminishing what you've seen because it influences there everywhere you go. I think that, I think maybe this year, maybe, maybe Russ winning it two years ago is the first year we're seeing the fan influence a vote. And I think Russ winning it because he had triple doubles was a narrative-driven discussion. It hadn't happened since, what, 63 when Oscar Robinson, and now he's done it three years in a row. And to me, it diminishes what he did two years ago because now he's doing it all the time. I think that was noise. The outside noise affected the voting. I think the outside noise is going to affect the voting this year because they feel the sort of compulsion to make it a new guy. And a likable guy, which I think is important. Giannis is a yeah. likable guy, uh, a guy with a great backstory, with you know coming over from Greece and not having anywhere, understanding his whole situation here and becoming this great player at such an early age. I think it's a noise, yeah. and Harden is going to be victimized by the noise, as opposed to people just kind of taking a, a, an objective look at it and going, he averaged forty-seven and seven yeah. for a half season to keep this team alive, really to elevate them from fourteenth to the middle of the pack. That's outstanding, and I think if he doesn't win, I guarantee you, years from now, people are going to look back and be like, well, how the hell did that happen? That, that's, I feel the exact same way. Um, and i got to tell you, I think the, the most frustrating thing for me has been listening to several people say, as you mentioned, voter fatigue, or say, yeah, you know, we, 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 we voted for him last year, he won it last year, as if this is some sort of like, you know, you got it. And now he has to, he has to be more of, is he worthy of a two-time MVP, and, and that type of question. You know, not only do I feel that it's done, that Giannis has got this one, I want to go further and say James Harden cannot win it next year. And this is why I want to say that. As you mentioned, this being a narrative award, I don't think there's anything that James Harden can do, unless he is by far and away, there's no other story in the league, you know, similar to what we saw in 2018 where he was clear winner, should have, probably could have been unanimous MVP. There are too many narratives set up next year. That um, you know, if KD goes to, to to the Knicks, he could turn that franchise around. Um, if LeBron turns the, the Lakers around after the season they had, they're they're as low as they can go. Um, if KD leaves, Steph Curry, I mean, he's going to be the guy uh, with Golden State, and um, you know, Anthony Davis, if he goes to Boston, turns the culture around. There's too many new stories I think that could come out. And I don't think Harden can win 60 games. He's won 65 before. I don't think he can put up 34 points. He's, he's averaged 36 before. I don't think he can do anything necessarily new other than sustain success, and that's a boring story. I think people have to accept what may happen and then also embrace what they've seen. And I like to kind of live in a moment. And for the last five years, Harden has averaged 30 points, 6.5 rebounds, 8.5 assists crazy. for a five-year stretch. Just recognize the greatness and enjoy it. And don't let everything else that's going on around you taint what you've seen. He's been an extraordinary player, one of the best players in the league, for five years running now. And if he doesn't win it this year, that means he will have one MVP and three second-place finishes, which is outstanding. He'll get robbed. It won't be highway robbery because Giannis has been terrific, but he's going to get robbed. And I think people have to just accept the fact that, for whatever reason, his personality, he was probably the first guy to be victimized by YouTube videos with the whole defensive thing. Yeah. I think he's he may be the poster child for what happens when social media gets involved and how we view basketball players, him or Russ. And I'm going to kind of go against something that you said about the, 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 the narratives for next season. 
I think we're done giving it to Steph. And I don't think that's really? fair. I think we're done giving it to Seth. I think I think people kind of move beyond and are almost kind of looking beyond his greatness. And I think that's a crime. I think when you see, he had 38 and 15 last night. I mean, what is this little skinny behind doing at 15 rebounds in a playoff game? He does things that are extraordinary. And I think people just kind of overlook it because he's been great for so long. But I felt like they overlook it because of so much talent around him. If, and if Boogie so leaves great. and Durant leaves, it's now back to the old Warriors. And if he's carrying that team. And and let me, but, let they, but they won't be great with those two guys leave. And I think they'll he'll get the merits because of that. There's no way they're winning 55 games next year if KD and the, and and Boogie leave with a diminished Draymond Green, with Clay Thompson maybe looking to go someplace else. I think as and Curry is great, 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 great. And I don't think we give him enough credit for how great he is. I think we're done giving him MVPs. I think to your point, it's about I think. The Lakers better do something extraordinary for LeBron to get it because we're done giving LeBron MVPs. And I think we're going to have to look back on his career, too, and say, how did that guy only get four when for a 12-year stretch he averaged 27-7-7? Yeah. Like, it's it's dumb the way we've kind of gotten to this point where we hand these things out like candy but between one player and another player because we don't want to give it to James Harden two years in a row, and we don't want to give it to LeBron six years in a row, and we don't want to give it to this guy or that guy. It's, it's absurd, but I think that's the kind of voting patterns we've got into now because guys don't look at things in a vacuum. They look at all this outside influence, and it's tainted their ability to see the truth. And maybe you're right. I think we'll revisit this down the line. I, I feel like, and I'll, I'll say, you know, I, do, I absolutely believe there's a James Harden uh, you know, bias or negativity around him, but it's not just that. I think even Giannis will be at a disadvantage next year because he's, he won 60 games this year. He's put up these big numbers. He's going to have to – it's almost become an advanced most improved player award and most improved team, a, com- a com- combination of those two things, similar to a Coach of the Year award. Coach of the Year award is not just you keep winning 60 games every year. It's Or Pop would have 12 of these things. Right. Yeah. It's who took the biggest leap, and that's what they do with the MVP award as well. So I feel like – you know, there's going to be a handful of, of situations for, for players, superstar players, to take a franchise and move it significantly forward. I can't imagine Harden having a better individual season ever again no. than he had this season. It, everything aligned because no. the injuries and the way he was able to And he's at the top season. of his game. And, and I'm not saying he's going to decline, no, yeah. but the dude averaged 36, 6.5, and, and 7. And like, you're not going to see that again. Yeah, and average over 40 for, what, a 40 to yeah. game stretch or something? You're not going to see that again. And, yeah. and I think... And again, that gets back to my point of the crime will be him not winning it, and the baseball, the basketball historians going, "What the heck?" Like years from now, he did what? Yeah, and he averaged what? And he for what? And he didn't win MVP. Yeah, we gave it to a guy just because we felt like it was somebody else's turn. Like I think they history won't look calling on the guys who are voting for somebody else other than James Harden this season, and they'll have to deal with that. Like It's going to be their scarlet letter moving forward as voters, yes. as people who you know have to go through the rest of their career, recognizing at some point we made a bad choice for bad reasons. Yeah, and I think James Harden is going to be the kind of guy who, after he retires, will be much more appreciated, and they'll be like, damn, look what this guy was uh, had actually accomplished. MK Bauer, you're the man. Uh, you can follow MK um, on Twitter, at Moisecapenda. He's a great follow. Um, absolutely some of the best on Houston sports. Uh, you can get some Atlanta Braves and some food stuff in there as well. But uh, thanks so much for doing this, and we'll hit back on Wednesday. Sounds good, Dave.